Good morning, good morning. How we doing? Uh, Y'all doing okay? How we doing? One more time. Yeah, I like some energy. I feed off your energy. Well, um, my name is Barnabas. For those of you who don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here at Mosaic. You probably recognize that I look nothing like Morgan, and that's, that's very smart of you, very perceptive. Pastor Morgan is in South Africa. has been there for about a week or so and is at a ministry conference and will be coming back tomorrow. Long flight. I believe it was 27 hours going there. So y'all pray for a brother's jet lag. Uh, he and Carrie will be back with us next Sunday, so pray for their safe return, and uh, we're looking forward to, to welcoming them back. So today we're going to continue our series, In Breaking, where we're going through the Gospel of Matthew. And so the, the hope is that we will get an opportunity to see how God reaches out to the world by lovingly breaking into it, and how he desires to, to, to really meet the longings of the human heart really by his life. And so last week, Pastor Brett began the focus on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're actually taking a little bit of a, of a different approach. We're, we're starting at the end of the Sermon on the Mount and working our way backwards with the, with the hope of, of, of looking at it in, in, in a new kind of refreshing light. And so if you bear with us, and you're probably familiar with the text, and you're wondering why we're starting with, with chapter 7 and working our way back, that's, that's the reason why. And so what we want to do is we'll, we'll just pray, and then we'll dive right in. Is that Okay. Father, I just thank you so much for everyone here. I thank you that they chose to to join us today to be part of of worshiping you and being in your presence. God, there's just something powerful about your your people coming together. So, Lord, I I just come asking that you would move me out of the way today, praying that your word would come and it would touch the hearts of everyone in this place, that it wouldn't be about the, the message as much as it is about you, Jesus. We pray that we leave this place with a, a new found depth to our understanding of who you are and your person and your kingdom. God, we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't it interesting that Jesus is well known but not quite well followed? You know, it's, and I'm not talking about Twitter and Instagram because that can get lost in translation, right? You, you see a picture of, of Jesus healing somebody in, in leprosy and you hit the like button. I'm not talking about that. Or if you see a picture of Jesus in, at the wedding at Cana and you, you make a little comment on it. Oh, Jesus, you turn water into wine. You're so crazy. You're the life of the party. Laugh out loud. No, we're, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. See, there's a difference between being popular and being pursued. And Jesus understood what that meant. And so when he's talking to, to these people, he, he realizes that, you know, this gift of salvation is free. It's wonderful. But to be his disciple will cost us our very lives. And so when he's standing before these people, when he climbs up this mountain, and our text today is going to be Matthew 7, verses 7 through 20. He wants to communicate in all clarity. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who seeks, everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he seeks or asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. 
and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You would recognize them by their fruits or grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Story of the Lord. The title of today's message is The Pathway to Eternity. And there's three things that we want to talk about today is choosing the gate, inspecting the fruit, and knocking on the door. We're going to jump around a little bit in the text, so let's take a look at 13 and 14 again. It says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. See, Jesus is wanting us to understand that this gate, this wide gate, this popular way of going about life, leads to our ruin, but for some reason it's attractive. It appeals to our natural senses. There's something about it that it just may surprise us that it doesn't even actually look destruction at all. If you look at it, it actually looks more like life. There's this promise of no pain, no suffering, the easy life. And the funny thing about it is a lot of our friends are there, even some of our family. There's plenty of room, not just for us, but for many more to join us. Our hearts begin to fall in love with this idea of the simple life where there's no restrictions, there's no accountability, there's no need for change, just pleasure. Does this sound somewhat familiar? Well, let's take a look at Genesis 3 just to to refresh our memories a little bit. Verses 1 through 5 says this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. The Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open. And you will be like God, knowing good from evil. Do you think that when Adam and Eve held this fruit in their hand that they realized or believed that on the other end of that bite was death? Do you think they believed that? I'm not sure. Because I think that if they realized, if they believed it, they probably would have thought differently. They would have behaved differently. And you know, it's interesting because this, this, this is what the road of destruction looks like. I mean, I'm, I'm picturing this imagery in my mind of, of how this fruit, for some reason, just looks more delicious than anyone, any other fruit in the entire garden. For some reason, it called out to them. But God said, they can have anything. This whole garden is yours. But for some reason, this one, just, it just warrants for me to try it. And when they took that first bite, I mean, the taste was just indescribable. That's what the road of destruction feels like. And what's interesting is that the same thoughts slither into our minds and hearts today. Is there really only one way? Are you sure you have to really seek God? Pray and read your Bible all the time? 
The wide path is fine. You can get to God a different way. Trust me, it'll be fine. You can live the way you want to live. You don't have to change. God understands. He'll forgive you. It's enticing, isn't it? And it's, it's alluring because something like this is the easy way out. Can you see why the wide road is so popular? Can you see why so many people get deceived into going down the wrong road? It's funny because the road is, is wide and it's so welcoming, but you can't see past the gate from the road. You don't see on the other end what, what's behind the gate. Because right around you is pleasure. It's people that you get a chance to walk with. It's fun. It's, it's amazing. You're having the time of your life. You're carefree. But on the other side of that gate, just past your line of sight, is unending emptiness resulting from separation from God. There's a loneliness and abandonment that can only be summed up in one word, hell. But the enemy doesn't tell you that, does he? He keeps that little part, little secret to himself. And this narrow gate, this thing like pure spirituality is different. Jesus is not hiding anything from us. He's telling us that this is a hard way to go. It's not easy. He's begging and pleading with us as he's standing on his mountain, would you please go by the narrow gate? The way is hard. And those who find it are few. See, what's important for us to understand in this, in this message that Jesus is communicating to his people is that the, the pathway that leads to the, to the narrow gate is landscaped with difficulty. Suffering and affliction is not a sign for us to quit, but really almost a reassurance that we're maybe going in the right direction. See, God made room for us. It's interesting, the Greek word for, for hard is thelibo. And it means to press hard upon. And, this, and, and all throughout Scripture, this word is also being used for being afflicted. We don't like that so much, do we? That doesn't, that doesn't sound too, too pretty. I, sign me up for that. Persecution. <laughs> sawed in half. Being scorned and talked bad about. Can't wait. We shrink back from this because we realize that we, as we look at Jesus' life and the suffering that he endured, that you know what, if we're going to follow him, we have to endure the same. So God, even, even though this gate seems narrow, even though this path seems so difficult, he wants us to know that there's space for us because it's, it's ironic because the, the wide gate looks so, so just plentiful and bountiful, like there's so much room in the narrow gate to see, is there even enough room for me? God, did you even take me in consideration? I love what he says in John 14, verses 1 through 5. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. And one of the disciples, Thomas, asked him, he said, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is communicating to us that he is the way. If we know him, a relationship with him, being in his presence, knowing him, he is the narrow gate. He is the way. 
But we have to look past the things that look attractive on the outside. We have to look past those things that that tug on the strings of our hearts. We have to look past the fact that, you know what, life is just going to be kind of difficult. It's going to be hard. Isn't it interesting how we exchange the now for the then? We focus so much on what's happening today. We look at the road that's just bathed in pleasure and we say, wow, this this must be where it's at. But we forget about eternity. We forget about this finite space that we call our life here on earth. We focus on the now and forget about what God has called us to walk into from the beginning of time. I remember a story, Yolanda, she's funny, my wife, she, uh, as kids, she, they used to torture each other and play. So she had a cousin, has a cousin, um, and they were really young, and, and so he had a $5 bill, and, and I believe she had a, a couple of ones, and he wasn't very good at math, and so she basically said, hey, I'll give you these $2 bills for your five. He's like, okay. Make the exchange, and he just went off excited, got these two pieces of paper, and you got one, sucker. <laughs> you know, and we laugh at it because there's a level of ignorance there. But don't we do the same thing? We, we, we ask, we say, God, I, I just, I'll just take this finite pleasure. I'll just take these few years of enjoyment here on earth. You can have my eternity. You can have forever with you in your presence. I'll take my couple of bucks. I'm satisfied. His home, doesn't it? And so here we are, and we, we're so quick to judge. We can point our fingers at other people and say the way that they're living and the things that they're doing, and we do it our very own selves. We forget that there's life after death, don't we, if we were to be honest? The truth is that on top of examining our own lives as it relates to what path are we going to, what gate are we heading towards, Jesus is warning us in this passage that beyond that, beyond just making sure you're good, you're going to encounter people that are going to try to lure you from the path that you're on to get on the wrong one. Which brings me to my next point, inspecting the fruit. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered by thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that comes, that does not bear good fruit, it's cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. You know, when you hear the, the word false prophet, it kind of seems mystical. You think of a unicorn or the boogeyman. You're like, eh, you kind of shrug your shoulders and you think, I probably won't have to worry about that. I've done it. I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of this. But by doing so, we make ourselves somewhat vulnerable to what the enemy can try to do in our lives. And see, there are multiple places throughout Scripture where God gives us the same warning. We can look at Matthew 24, 11, where it says, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. 1 John 4.1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for false prophets have gone out into the world. See, Jesus knows that our natural inclination is to make the assumption that just because somebody looks the part, that they're good, that they're traveling down the road that leads to the narrow gate, that we, we don't naturally take the next, the, the next step to, to look a little closely at their lives. See, these false prophets, they showed up in Jesus' day. 
And he's letting us know that they're going to show up and sneak in undetected in our churches, in our communities, trying to lure us astray. It happened back then. It's happening right now today. He says that they will come in your communities and they will, they will look just like sheep. They will talk like disciples. They will look like disciples. They will act like disciples, but their hearts will be far from me. They'll be wolves, sheep's clothing. But he lets us in on a little secret, which is, thank God, it's liberating. He says you can recognize them by their fruits. And, you know, it, it may be hard to recognize a, a false prophet initially but, or a false teacher initially, but over time... Things will begin to become apparent. The way that they live will become obvious. It will begin to reveal their true motives. Don't be misled by the leaves of their profession or the flowers of their gifting. You must pay close attention to their fruit. The text is often misinterpreted to just think about somebody's deeds, right? We start thinking about the way that they live their lives and what this actually does is kind of puts us in a place where we start judging people and accusing people. But as Pastor Brett alluded to last week in his message when he was examining the text, why is it that when people prophesied in his name and they did these mighty works, Jesus' response was, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of iniquity. So in the text, we're not, we're not talking about deeds. We're talking about the question that Jesus is asking is, what do you say about me and my kingdom? What do you say about me? It's something that we call doctrine. So what he's saying is that if you want to know what a false prophet is or who it is, a false teacher, just ask them what they say about me and my kingdom. Are they teaching the same thing I'm teaching? Are they saying the same thing I'm saying? Because if they're not, they're false. If they are. They're real. So it's interesting when Jesus can say, <laughs> somebody can be proclaiming his name and be far from him. That should scare us a little bit. That should do something in our hearts that make us take our relationship with him a little bit more seriously. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting how the example he uses, you know, he, he says grapes being on these thorn bushes, grapes growing vines, so they don't, they don't, they don't grow on thorn bushes. So if somebody is coming and saying that, hey, there's, you go by a vineyard or you go by this garden and you see some grapes on some thorn bushes, there's a problem. You might want to run. And if somebody comes up to you and say, hey, you should come to my house. I have some figs on these thistles. It's awesome. Just come check it out. You should just go ahead and respond and say you have an allergic reaction to male cow excrement and you prefer the past. Some of y'all will get that tomorrow. <laughs> See, Scripture cautions us who teach God's word are going to be held more accountable. We're going to be judged more severely. So we should take it seriously, shouldn't we? And so if we're, we're called to, to, to speak his word, it should line up with what he says. Because the gospel is about himself. Shouldn't the one that the gospel is about be the one that you should listen to? Shouldn't it be the one that we mimic? Shouldn't it be the thing that we mirror? Shouldn't everything we say be the same thing that he said? It should be, but it's often not. And people can be the nicest and kind, but inwardly their motives are to pull you away from the authority of Scripture and the ex- exclusivity of salvation in Christ because it sounds good, because it means that you don't have to work so hard 
Jesus is warning us against this. There's a Welsh Protestant minister who was a preacher and a medical doctor by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones had an interesting thing to say as it relates to the passage. He said this, a Christian can generally be known by his very appearance. The man who really believes in the holiness of God and who knows his own sinfulness and the blackness of his own heart. The man who believes in the judgment of God and the possibility of hell and torment. The man who really believes that he himself is so vile and helpless that nothing but the coming of the Son of God from heaven to earth and his going to the bitter shame and agony and cruelty of the cross could ever save him and reconcile him to God. This man is going to show all that is in his personality. He is a man who is bound to give the impression of meekness. He is bound to be humble. Our Lord reminds us here that if a man is not humble, we're to be very wary of him. We can put, he can put on a kind of sheep's clothing, but that is not true humility. That is not true meekness. And if a man's doctrine is wrong, it will generally show, up and show itself at this point. He will be fallible and pleasant. He will appeal to the natural man and to the things that are physical and carnal. But he will not give the impression of being a man who is himself his hell-bound sinner who has been saved by the grace of God alone. Now, we're, we're not trying to get on some, some witch hunt. We're not trying to say that we should go and attack people and burn them at the stake. The truth is, is that we're called to love people like this because they need Jesus just as much as we do, don't they? And so my, my heart is not to bring division, but to, to help us to be aware because that's what Jesus is calling us to do. He's open your eyes and be aware. It's important that we see and we be prepared for what the Lord is warning us against. And if we truly grasp the difficulty of what it means to follow Jesus, it should do nothing short from overwhelm and almost terrify us. And if we listen to what God is asking of us and respond with, sure, a piece of cake, got it covered. Maybe we don't quite get it. And what Jesus is saying, knowing that this gate is narrow, knowing that there's false prophets that are coming to lead us astray, is that he's available in our time of need. He knows we're going to need him. Which brings me to my last point, knocking on the door. Verse 7 through 11 says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For every one who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be open or which one of you if his son asks for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for fish will give him a serpent if you then are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven and give good gifts to those who ask him and let's not be hasty let's not take this out of context he jesus is giving this example he didn't say if you ask for a honda i'll give you a maserati he didn't, he didn't say, if, I, if you ask for a one-bedroom apartment, I'm going to give you that mansion on the hill. He used these specific examples. He said, if, if you ask for, for bread, he's ask, they're asking for nourishment. He's, he's giving the example of a, of, a, of a child asking a parent for something that they need, that they need. And he said, a parent is loving. They wouldn't, they wouldn't give you a stone if you asked for a piece of bread. They wouldn't. Give you a serpent if you ask for fish. I, I think of myself sitting at my dinner table, and if I'm having this nice hot meal, and my baby girl walks up to me with her hand reached up, expecting something, and I'm just going in having a great time, what would I say to her? Here, here's a rock. Go chew on that. Don't break your teeth. We ain't got time for that. 
No, no. Oh, here's, here's a rattlesnake, honey. They, I hear they taste like chicken. No. What kind of horrible parent would I be if I did that? You should call CPS immediately. And, and, and we laugh because it's common sense to us, right? In, in our natural selves, we, we, we spend time with our, our family and our friends and our little ones, and we would never do that to them. God is telling us that he, he's even better than we are. Because, I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. If it's the last piece of shrimp on my plate, I'm a little bit more hesitant. I mean... I get a little bite, you know. God's not like that. So he, he gives good gifts. He enjoys it when we come to his presence asking in our time of need. He's waiting for us. He just say, knock. I'm here. I gladly open the door. I gladly do it. And so I'm, I'm hearing him pleading with the people under the sound of his voice. And you know, in my mind, I'm thinking he's got to be wondering, why aren't my people knocking? I have all this at the disposal. He's, he's communicating God's love and his availability, but for some reason, we're not knocking. I look at my own experience and how easy it is to get sucked into the vortex of life. Family, meetings, projects, and all the other stuff pulls my attention away causes us, me, to forget that I'm in need of a savior. We get so busy getting things done that we forget that we need God to get things done in the light of eternity. I love, I love how God puts it in Psalms 51. He says this, for you will not delight in sacrifice or I give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh, God, you will not despise. You know, as much as I despise hardships, I realize that one of the best aspects of suffering is how it pushes me to God's presence. It reminds me of how desperately I need God. My inadequacy and my deficiency pushes me towards him. And God just responds to this humble and broken heart. What will it take to get us to remember how much we need him? My hope today is that whether we're going through a difficult time or not, whether your, your season seems to be unbearable or if it seems to be fairly easy, that it wouldn't prevent us from seeking his presence. It wouldn't prevent us from going to God in prayer. And remembering how, much, how desperately we need him, how desperately our souls cry out for him, that only he can satisfy. We need him. As we begin to wrap up, I want to share a, a last text here in Deuteronomy. It's somewhat of a long one, but I believe it connects. It's in chapter 30. Here's Moses talking to the people of Israel, pleading with them, similar to Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. The Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering in to take possession of it. But if your heart turns away and you will not hear, but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them. I declare to you today 
you will surely, you will surely perish. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him. For he is your life in length of days. That you may dwell in the land of the Lord and swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give to them. You know, we can look at this passage, and, and, and I hope you hear, hear my heart. But this, it's never intended to, to talk about rules and, and regulations. I, I, what I hope that we see today is the, the heart of Jesus, the heart of God and his word pleading with us that there's a, there's a way that leads to life. But he's graciously given us the choice to choose. And so often the, the things around us can, can cloud our good judgment, can, can, can pull our attention away from the, from the truth of, of, of who he is and where he's leading us to go. He's gently reminding us, choose life. I know, I know destruction looks appealing. I know, I know death doesn't look like death. Would you choose life? Would you heed my call? Would you listen to my voice? Would you know that my, my heart for you is good? My desire is for you to not just have life, but have life more abundantly, to give to you all the things that you can imagine and more. But it won't be easy. It won't be hard. The cost is great, but the reward is even greater.